0: I think one of the more dangerous things we think about is like thin people are healthy and that's not always true. And so we have this like calculated equation of, or if someone's fit, they're healthy, right? If you see a guy who's like super ripped, he's healthy. Well, if he's eating nothing but like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and like protein shakes, by the time that guy gets to his forties and fifties, his body's going to start shutting down no matter how active he is because he's not fueling it with the right nutrients
1: welcome to the whiskey and lemon podcast i'm your host lana mercedes and i'm your guest maria vial maria is a bar certified nutritionist you can check her out on her instagram at maria and maria welcome to the show maria
0: oh thanks for having me
1: I'm so glad to have you on. You have all this great information that we all need, especially during this pandemic. So I can't wait to dive mm. right in,
0: yeah, for sure.
1: So tell me a little bit about how you actually got started. You have so much experience, yeah.
0: so um originally, i yeah um, I, this is kind of long story, but I played uh, collegiate basketball. Um, and went to school for journalism. And then after finishing there, I went and played professionally overseas for a couple of years. Um, and um, so there's kind of this like meld of the worlds, right? It's like being a woman and being kind of health conscious already, right. and then being an athlete and having like a different spin on what health means in terms of performance. And then when I went abroad I just experienced different cultures and how they ate and the food they ate and kind of their lifestyles and saw that it was just drastically different than the first two worlds and yeah and also saw that they seemed to be remarkably like happier and healthier Mm -hmm. with a lot less I guess visible effort in in my opinion like I just was like oh my gosh like they don't even have diet food here. They don't <laughs> right. have sh- they don't have sugar- free stuff. They don't right. have you know fat-free craft singles. You know they just don't have that <laughs> right, stuff. They yeah. just they ate food.
1: yeah, you know, and they
0: ate food that I think a lot of people would consider like not dietary, like not like if you want to be trim or thin or fit, you wouldn't eat this food.
1: Um, also they of, were. I've noticed in traveling, like you don't really see things that'll say no preservatives because they just don't really do. They it don't again. have it. Yeah, you don't have totally. to label it. Well, that not way.
0: Even, yeah. And just even like organic, like it's not labeled. It yeah. just is right? right. Like, and so I just was really inspired. Like I, I, it just like blew my mind. And so when I came back from plane, I kind of dove pretty deeply into just like self study about like traditional cultures and traditional eating and kind of the way in which people um ate and like wh- how our food has evolved over time and just got super passionate about it and then at the time like this is probably like 11 11 12 years ago mm-hmm. there really wasn't a lot of resources there wasn't really you could go to school for like to be a dietitian, but that's not that's not really what it was that i was looking at i wanted to see like food as medicine and food as okay. as healing and um there just wasn't a lot of programs back then and so i initially did like a health coaching certification course like mm-hmm. remotely uh just kind of get my feet wet and and it was great and i think it gave me like some good insight but i really wanted the like nitty gritty like i wanted the science behind it i wanted to understand, you know, how food can affect certain conditions and, um, how it can lead people down the path to disease or how it can lead them down the path to health. And so then I ended up moving to Vancouver, packed up my bags, moved to Vancouver and, uh, went to school, uh, at the Institute for holistic nutrition. So I got my degree there and then, um, did an internship at a holistic Cancer clinic that worked alongside the allopathic cancer clinic there, and so it was just kind of okay. this adjunct therapy where people could get like nutrition help and acupuncture for chemo, and just have this like additional support. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like a really long story, but um, no, I'm loving it. It just, <laughs> just kind of came from like my personal experience of, you know, there's just so many different avenues that are coined health. Or like what mm-hmm. we think is healthy, and you know, being in that space, realizing that like so many of those avenues, like I would say, quote unquote, like didn't fail me, but like you know, they weren't they weren't serving me in the way in the best way possible. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I got started. And then I moved back um, to Milwaukee and opened up my practice after I graduated um, from there. Nice. Which you've had now for how many years? Uh, 10. 10. Wow. Almost, almost 10. Yeah. Yeah. It's great yeah. that we
1: have you on. You yeah. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, hopefully. Yeah. You touched on to like just noticing when you would travel that things were vastly different. Being here, obviously, like we said, there's labeling things with uh, organic or saying that there's diet dietary supplements, things like that. So what would you say is the biggest difference because a lot of people want to get into these diet fads versus, yeah. you know, just having that healthy lifestyle? What would you explain as the biggest difference for people that are looking to change up their lifestyle?
0: Yeah, so I'd say kind of two different things. So one is like the food was just real food. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was food. You know, it um and not to say like people didn't use things out of like cans or containers, but it wasn't like I'm buying this paleo bar and that's what I'm having for breakfast. Mm. It was, it's not like, um, diet focused food products. Um, and the other was just like, food was very communal and social. It was enjoyed. And there was definitely like a, a mindset around it. You know, people, I remember like the first time I think when I was playing in Sweden I remember we were playing somewhere we were staying at a hotel and went down for breakfast you know like breakfast in the states here it's like a continental breakfast right like you grab your boxes yeah frosted flakes and your skim milk and like you know maybe (laughs) an an apple that's all waxy and there it was like a full-on like fresh food buffet like eggs and yeah. salmon and all different things and they sat down and they like ate and enjoyed and it there's just a different mindset around it and and I don't know if it was necessarily conscious or mm-hmm. if it just has been the way that it was so that was those were kind of the two things so just kind of this making making food a priority but but not an obsession like I feel like here in the States, ah. We obsess about food, and yeah. and not to say that's necessarily a bad thing because there's some you know crappy stuff going on in our food system. But yeah. um, I think sometimes we do it to the point of where we like lose the enjoyment aspect
1: of it. When you say we're obsessing over it, would you can you explain that a little bit more?
0: Yeah, so I think that we get, you know, there's so many different diet f- trends and fads. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know which one is trending right now. You know, who knows? Like, COVID probably right put, little, <laughs> put it put it on a bit of a halt. It's like probably like the COVID diet, or I don't know. Yeah, but um, there's always some new fad, and it usually is like the pendulum swinging the other way from where the last fad was. And so mm-hmm. there's kind of this like meticulous like researching, finding out tracking, counting, calculating, you know, meal prep planning, freezer stored meals, like this almost like, I mean, talk about robbing the joy out of eating. It just becomes so like calculated.
1: Okay. That makes sense. So how would you explain then, because I know, like you said, that there's these, a bunch of different diets that are out there. And for me, I mean, I like you said, I hear so many different things from like you know, paleo or blood type diet or the Mm -hmm. like the the lemonade cleanse. Mm -hmm. There's so many different ones, but even if there's one that tends to work even for a short amount of time, right? It then you stop it and you just right everything goes back to the way it was, or even if something works long term, it's not going to always work for everyone, right? What might work for me might not work for you. Totally, yeah,
0: and I think. You know, there's something I'm becoming more and more um, conscious of, just like within my own life and with my practice and the people I work with is really honing in and being like your own advocate in some way and yeah. not being just um, so quick to jump ship when you hear someone having success with something or, you know, you think that something sounds better or, you know, I just think that there's so much information out there right now that you could honestly pick any food and we could easily probably find five very convincing articles on either side of the fence on why it's the best thing for you to eat or why you should never touch it. You know, for the average person, that is a lot of information to figure out. Like, should mm-hmm. someone drink coffee? Yes or no? Like, good Lord, there is a ton of money on both sides of that fence. And so it really just kind of depends on, like you said, the, the person, what they're going through, their age. I mean, so many different aspects. So that's not to say that there isn't a responsibility, you know, for your own health to kind of like, I, I kind of tell people like, be a little bit of an adult about it. Like that yeah. doesn't mean well, that just means then I can just have ice cream all the time or <laughs> right. you know, like, I know that I don't feel that great when I eat X, Y, and Z, but you know, I like it. So that's what works for me. You yeah. can do that for sure. Like, you know, do you, but if you're not feeling great and you feel like something might be up, you know, it's kind of your, you know, it's, it's your responsibility just to like feel good mm-hmm. to try to have a little bit of like, be a little bit of like, Inquisitive on what might be impacting you. And so, you know, when I'm working with someone, I could be working with two people who like kind of sound like they're complaining about the same thing like, oh, maybe they have digestive issues, they're not sleeping well. But when I look at, you know, I look at their age, I look at their lifestyle, I look at, you know, what they're eating, the reason behind it could be like two completely different things. And so if I just gave them both kind of the same cookie cutter advice, like one of them might thrive on it. And the other one might be like, this isn't, this isn't working. Right. And so I think that's kind of where like being an advocate of knowing if you do try something, if it's working, if it's not, and, and some of it might be, you know, compliance, but some of it just might be, it doesn't work for you and be okay with that. Like, if there was one diet that worked for everyone, there wouldn't be so many diet books. There wouldn't right. be so many. Oh my god, the market behind diet food is just like insane! Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I so I struggle with uh migraines and mm-hmm. it's like vestibular migraines, so I get vertigo mm-hmm. along with it. Yeah, I had just seen a doctor a couple weeks ago. And he gave me this long list of stuff that I shouldn't touch. Mm. First thing Mm -hmm. I saw was avocado and I almost had a meltdown. But, um, you know, all these things, it's like, don't touch this because it can trigger your migraines. But then you also have someone who is like, you should try this blood type diet. It's really, really great. And then I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, that's funny. All the things that's telling me to to eat here (laughs) is on this list of things that I I only have maybe like. Grapes and water left at that point. Right, <laughs> so right. Totally. Accent, like you said, listen to your body.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing too, I have found, and and trust me, I mean I've been in practice for a while. I've definitely done that type of stuff where I give people lists of like don't eat foods to avoid and foods to eat. And sometimes you can create almost like similar to this doctor giving you a food of like this might cause your migraine, mm-hmm. like psychosomatically. You might eat an avocado and be like, oh my God, I hope this doesn't give me a migraine. And you're sitting there like obsessively hoping it doesn't give you a migraine. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you start feeling like you're getting the headache. And it's like, well, is it because of the avocado or is it because of the stress you had behind eating the avocado? You know, so there's all these like mental attachments that go with food that just kind of make it a super confusing. It can be super confusing for somebody to try to navigate that, which is also kind of saddening because it's food, right? Like, it should be something we, like, really look forward to enjoying and eating.
1: Right. Not afraid if we're, like, doing the yeah, right thing.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what, what mining? What mindful practices would you say someone should be doing actively to make sure that they're staying healthy mentally and physically? If it's not just, you know, what you're eating, but to make sure, like you said, you're in that right frame of mind, like you said, being an adult, making sure that you're, you have the, a healthy view of food. Yeah, no, that's great.
0: So um, actually one of the things I emphasize most and first with the people I work with isn't even like what they eat. So much of it is just, like, lifestyle practices. So as simple as, like, making sure you're sitting down when you eat. Like, it sounds mm-hmm. so elementary, but if you really think about your day, how quickly is it like, oh, I, I'm i grabbing, you know, I'm drinking my smoothie on my way out the door. Well, maybe not so much anymore with people, but, you know, yeah. I'm drinking it and, um, you know, I'm checking my emails and I'm on Instagram and I'm, you know. You eat totally distracted
1: mm-hmm.
0: um which usually that means you're probably like not chewing or eating slowly necessarily and then how much are you like kind of rushing through food? I mean, I use this as a classic example of i mean we've all done the like uh you know popcorn big bowl of popcorn in front of a movie, and it's like the opening credits haven't even finished and you're at the bottom of it, you're like, yeah <laughs> how did that happen right? right. <laughs> how did I get through all of that? But because, you know, we weren't paying attention to it. And so one of the biggest things, and this is something like I personally struggle with big time. I don't know if it's from coming from a big family, but just slowing down and truly being present with your food. Like look at your food while you eat it. Like take a look at it. Like you're going to eat grapes eat one grape at a time and like, Mm -hmm. look at it versus, you know, grab a handful, throw it in your mouth, chew it while you're like, you know, trying to get the rest of the things done. Um, that alone can make a world of difference on people's digestion, how much they eat, how they feel afterwards, if they feel Mm -hmm. bloated or not. And then also if they have cravings later in the day, I mean, it's just such a simple thing.
1: Yeah, actually, I'm really glad that you mentioned cravings because I really want to ask you about this whole emotional eating thing that a lot of people do, Mm. whether it's just whether you're, you know, going through something and you start eating a lot or you're just bored and you start eating. How do you kind of ignore those urges and stay disciplined? How do you or even just get out of that mindset altogether? Well,
0: so there's two parts to it. So one of it is the actual mentality of it. Mm -hmm. And then there's some, there's a part of it that actually could be like physically triggering it. So depending on what you've eaten prior to that craving can definitely impact whether or not you experience one. So, um, you know, making sure like how you kind of formulate your day, like if you're just eating a lot of like quick carbohydrates throughout the morning, you're most likely going to have some sort of craving in the afternoon. Because your blood sugar probably isn't super balanced. So, you know, what we eat or what we do can make an impact on that. Now, the emotional side of it or the habitual side of it, my biggest tip, and this is what I actually do myself, is if you're trying to, actually two, I'm going to give two tips. Okay. If you're trying to break like an afternoon kind of snack attack, let's say, Mm -hmm. If there's a certain type of food that you find yourself always going to, like let's say it's dark chocolate or maybe it's like some chips, eat that at your previous meal. So eat it. Don't like shame yourself of it. But let's say you have like this three o'clock hankering Mm
1: -hmm. for,
0: you know, tortilla chips. And when you open that bag at three o'clock, it's like you could probably finish the bag. But if you have those tortilla chips with your lunch, and let's say you have like a couple of handfuls, mm-hmm. you're less likely to overshoot the runway. And then when three o'clock hits, you can. There's like this mental satisfaction of like, well, I've already had the tortilla chips. Like I've had them. I'm right. Good. I so thought for sure you were really gonna well. say
1: if you have that craving, just don't buy them.
0: <laughs> now, well, I mean, that could be too. If you really can't, if you if you really find yourself having a hard time um, monitoring. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That can help. Um, the other thing I, I would say is like when that hankering hits, ask yourself, like, am I, you know, the question is like, are you truly hungry? Mm-hmm. And ask yourself like, okay, could I eat like a huge bowl of carrots? And if you're like, no, yeah. it's not what I want. Well, then you're not hungry. Cause if you are truly hungry,
1: mm-hmm. you'd be
0: like, you know what? It's not what I want, but I'm hungry enough. Like I need something in my stomach. Give me the carrots.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So that can sometimes just give you a little like mental, a little like mental, like challenge of, am I truly hungry? Okay. And if you're not truly hungry, like go drink some water.
1: Yes. Water. Very important. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. How would you tie that in with people that want to take cheat days? Like maybe they're doing really, really great the whole week. And then on Sunday, yeah. they just start going crazy just because they can, I guess, or?
0: Yeah. So I think it would depend on why you're doing a cheat day. Like, you know, and I think, again, that's kind of like the 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 crux with Western approach to health is like you're either super healthy or you're not versus What if like throughout the week, you just like allowed yourself to have the dark chocolate or you allowed yourself to have pizza or you allowed yourself to have whatever it is that you feel like you have to save for a cheat day. Sometimes if you allow yourself to have it, you're less likely than on a cheat day to like overdo it, right? Because you've been so good all week and now it's like all bets are off. And, you know, that half gallon of ice cream is just like it's on, right? <laughs> Versus if like throughout the week you had like a scoop of ice cream with your lunch every day, mm-hmm. you were probably less likely to have like the emotional and physical repercussions of having a cheat day. Because even though the cheat day feels like it was earned, there tends to be, in most people that I know, after the cheat day is done or the next day after, there's still this like residual feeling of like, an emotional and physical hangover from the cheat day. Got and it. then there's kind of this like, all right, back to, you know, back to being super restrictive and super, you know, vigilant. And then, you know, the mindset around food becomes this foods either really good or really bad for you. And, and I think that that mm-hmm. can perpetuate kind of like unhealthy eating habits.
1: There's this big debate I feel like about you know what's more important, healthy eating or physical mm-hmm. exercise. Is it? Mm-hmm. How do you? Is it just based on the person? Is it split down the middle? What are your yeah. thoughts?
0: Yeah. Uh, so you can't out exercise a bad diet. Got you it. might be able to when you're young. Like you might be able to when you're like teens and twenties, and maybe even in your thirties. But, like, if you're eating garbage, like, you have to think about that's the fuel you're giving your body. So, if you think outside of, like, I think one of the more dangerous things we think about is, like, thin people are healthy. Like, that is, like, a, a mindset. Yeah. Like, if you're thin, you're healthy. And that's not always true, right? Mm-hmm. And so, we have this, like, calculated equation of, or if someone's fit, they're healthy, right? If you see a guy who's, like, super ripped, he's healthy. Right. Well, if he's eating nothing but like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and like protein shakes, by the time that guy gets to his 40s and 50s, his body's gonna start shutting down no matter how active he is because he's not fueling it with the right nutrients. And so, like I said, you can get yeah. away with it for a while, but you know, so no exercise regime will ever, I mean, you might be able to physically look fit but and not eat well again that depends on genetics and metabolism Mm -hmm. but if we're really talking about like overall health right like feeling healthy longevity um you know not getting you know chronic illnesses that kind of stuff you Mm -hmm. really want diet is a must i mean diet's a must and then exercise is important but It's interesting if you look at studies with exercise, like even, are you familiar with the blue zones? I'm not, no. So the blue zones were these um, areas around the world that this group like studied to see the communities where they had the most people who lived to a hundred years old or older. Ah, okay. And they found, um, I think there's like six or seven of them all over the world. And they studied like the similarities between them because- they weren't just in one geographic area. And what they found is in regards to exercise is most of these people weren't like spending an hour in the gym, right? They didn't like work all day mm-hmm. and sit at a desk and then go work out for an hour or two. They just were active. They just moved. You know, they walked to the store. They walked to work. They lived in two story places. They walked up and down stairs. Yeah. You know, they didn't rely on remote controls. They just moved. And so they weren't like pumping iron, and they weren't doing CrossFit. You know, they were literally just moving. They were getting out in nature. They were taking hikes. And so sometimes I think we rely so much, or we put so much weight on exercise regimes, that again, it can kind of make us like lose sight of like what is what what is healthy activity, and you know, how are we fueling it? And then the flip side to that too, is I've had a lot of clients who over-exercise to the point where they're like, they're consuming so many more calories because they've like burned too many calories, if that makes sense. So they're like, I don't understand why like my body isn't changing. I'm not losing weight. Like, you know, I do X, Y, and Z for an hour and a half. And then I do this, this, and this, and their diet looks great. But because they're almost overstimulating their sympathetic nervous system, Mm -hmm. the body isn't feeling safe enough to like let go of excess weight. And sometimes it will result in them like maybe being hungrier than they would have been if they hadn't ran that extra two miles. And so the amount of food that they ate in correspondence to the kind of like over-exercising doesn't balance out metabolically. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. You know, the last job I had, I can walk to the office and I felt like I was working, you know, I had much more of a flexible schedule before and then I was working there more of like an eight to six type of thing. And I didn't feel like I had enough time to actually work out, but I was always walking to work. I if I had to yeah. stop at the, you know, Whole Foods is nearby and I can just walk to that and that still helped me give me some kind of movement that if I if I can get there walking in less than like 20 minutes, then I'm just going to do it versus taking a car because there's there's really no need. So that really does make sense.
0: Yeah, and what's interesting is with a lot of the clients I have is mostly women is if I kind of tell them to like taper back a bit, mm-hmm. like trade in that extra boot camp class for like a leisurely walk outside yeah they're like very hesitant right because we all really like like to feel like we have really burned a bunch of calories but they'll see and i hate noticing, classes i prefer um, the walking too. i can't oh, do I the classes. classes yeah i don't know if it's from playing like basketball for so long but <laughs> ugh. um but they'll notice a change, right? And they'll notice a change. And sometimes it just is a matter of changing up what people are so comfortable and used to, to just kind of give that metabolism
1: just a bit of a boost. Right. Okay. Uh, Real quick, I wanted to ask you a question too, because you mentioned before about the whole snacking, maybe doing it Mm with your lunch versus having it later in the day. So is there a correlation there to people having those crashes in the afternoon too, maybe you go to lunch at work and then around three, four o'clock, you're starting to feel a crash and you can't keep your eyes open through the rest of the workday. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So that could be a couple things. It could be what you're eating for sure. Okay. Um, and it could also be like, if your digestion is just a little bit weak and you like eat this big lunch and your digestion just is bogged down and all of a sudden you feel like you could fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much behind it. Um, and again, like everyone's a bit different, but in general, you know, what has been kind of, Continuously proven is like three regular meals a day with minimal snacking in between tends to show the best results. Okay. You know, not these like six mini meals all day long or, you know, one big huge meal and then you don't eat the rest of the day. Like they can have benefits. And for some people, they might really thrive on it. But in general, if you kind of just think historically for how many years have we been doing like breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And you know we weren't doing like mid morning and mid afternoon snacks like that just wasn't happening. Right. Um, so again, those kind of regular meal times kind of tell the body keep it safe. It feels like it's not going to be starving or like missing out on anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it doesn't overdo it because it hasn't eaten in so long. So.
1: What about the opposite side of that? Because for me, I, you know, I did intermittent fasting for Uh a while and I felt fine while I was working in, say, an office job. But then if I'm working from home and I'm moving around, but I'm in my house, you know, I can easily get distracted and I have more time to just, maybe I won't feel as focused. And then around two, three o'clock, all of a sudden I'm just like extremely tired and I hadn't even eaten yet. Is it like a blood sugar thing or?
0: Yeah. So a couple things. So intermittent fasting has some really wonderful studies behind it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it can be really great, especially for people who just are like really struggling with kind of like overeating or metabolic stuff. But for some people, intermittent fasting can be too much. And again, how long are you doing it for? Who's doing it? um, the duration of fasting, you know, are you doing this? How many times a week are you doing it? I mean, there's so many different caveats to it. Um, but I think it's something that people can definitely try because I think in general, most people have a hard time not eating all the time. And so sometimes it can just be good to give you a sense of like, Oh, like if you tell people like, don't eat for, you know, the standard for intermittent fasting is 16 hours. Like you say, don't eat for 16 hours and you get deer in headlights and you're like, well, eight of those hours you're sleeping and yeah. you do just fine. Right? right. Like you, you, you know, when I tell people like, try not to snack between meals and they're like, well, there's no way I can make it from like lunch to dinner without you know needing a <laughs> snack. And I'm like, you do it for eight hours when you're sleeping and you wake up just fine. Right. You know, like we just get so programmed into these habits and Right. Um, sometimes you know, it just helps us to have gain a little bit of perspective of what our body is able to do when we like allow it to do
1: what it can. Yeah. So especially now with the quarantine, people are on this severe mm, quarantine mm-hmm. of lockdown, and they're not getting outside, and they are just yeah. in the house, and all they're doing for a lot of people is just thinking about eating. How can oh you God, yeah, get out of that? Yeah. So I think
0: you know. Um, it's tough, right? Um, one is just like, this is a great time to really like look at some hobbies that you may have let go. Yeah. Um, trying not to do things mindlessly. So if you like, just set like a little, like if you just are mindful about eating again, if you kind of have these, like, I'm going to be sitting down every time I eat. I'm not going to be distracted by my phone or the TV right there. If you just do that, then all of a sudden it's like you become much more conscientious of what you're putting in your mouth. Um, Okay. So that can help. The other thing is, is if you, the, when you're not, like right now with COVID, I think the hardest thing for people is like lack of routine, right? Or a change in routine, which can be tough. And so if you're able to at least set up a little bit of a routine in terms of like when you wake up and when you eat your meals and try to be consistent with that, it helps to kind of keep you from like, okay, let's say one day you wake up at six and you know, you were t- super preoccupied or you had work and then all of a sudden you didn't eat breakfast and so now it's ten thirty, and now you're really super hungry so now you eat something and then now it's like one and you're like I'm not quite hungry for lunch so I'm just going to kind of wait and then you know the day kind of like becomes this crapshoot like when you eat and what you eat mm-hmm. versus if you're like you know what I'm gonna make sure I have something even if it's small at like in the morning and then make sure like I eat lunch between like 11 and one and then make sure I eat dinner, you know, between five and seven, something like that. Like that alone can set somewhat of a schedule, but still flexible that you, you're not just like at the whim of like, however, whenever you're noticing hunger, because lots of times if you kind of wait, and this is the thing I see sometimes with intermittent fasting Is sometimes people wait so long to eat that once they start eating, it's like they really struggle stopping. Okay, you know it's like okay they have that window and now yeah exactly like oh I can eat for eight hours yeah okay cool once I start I'm not stopping.
1: Yeah, I know for me like when I was doing it, I typically do between like twelve and eight or like two to ten, but was never eating until ten o'clock. So. The last maybe hour thirty minutes, I was just staring at the clock, waiting for it to hit two o'clock, and then I was just yeah. always end up overeating, and I'm always not really helping me in this way. Well, um, and the
0: other thing too is, you know, that whole like, oh, just pick your your window of time. If you eat really late, or if you eat really close to bedtime, it, you know, statistically showing that's like the best way to gain weight. Mm-hmm. You know, so it doesn't matter if you haven't eaten for you know 16 18 hours prior to that if you're eating all your calories really close to when you're going to go to sleep you know your body doesn't really have a lot of time to do much with those calories and if you think of food as right. fuel it's like you're driving on an empty gas tank all day to then fill up your tank to like park it in the garage for the night ah
1: good you know like yeah. yeah
0: so just kind of think of it that way like food is fuel so you should be eating it and using it not like saving it up and then eating all your calories and then going to bed.
1: Which actually reminds me, you, you had mentioned that you should be eating when it's light out, sleeping mm-hmm. when it's dark. So yeah.
0: Yeah. When the sun is out is when you should be eating. Like once the sun starts setting, take, you know, start Wrap wrapping, up. Up, your, start wrapping <laughs> up those final bites. And yeah. again, that's not like, you know, you can't enjoy like, a you know, a late night, whatever here and there. But in general, those mm-hmm. are just really good practices to kind of, you know, digestively, metabolically to help with
1: sleep, help with energy, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like the the late night snack. I'm so grateful that I've never been, I've never craved um, like, you know, wake up in the middle of the night mm-hmm. to eat something yeah. because I'm very like, what helps me stop eating too is if I know I'm going to crave something, I go brush my teeth. Because I yeah, know I won't right. to eat after I brush Absolutely. my teeth and then I'm not yeah, going no, to ruin that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's like, you're like, I don't want to brush my teeth again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. So I want to, you had mentioned a bit back to about making sure that you're having water. So if you, you might think you're hungry, but if you don't want the carrots and you're not really mm-hmm. hungry, you're making sure you drink water. So what's a good way for someone to know how much water they should be drinking? And then also do other liquids count in that water intake?
0: So kind of a baseline that I feel it gets used quite frequently is half of your body weight in fluid ounces. So whenever you weigh, divide by two, and that's how many fluid ounces. Mm -hmm. Now that's like just a really good, I think, like benchmark. Now, again, that can change. Are you super active? Is it summer? Is it hot out? Are you, um, you know, are you retaining water? I mean, all those things can fluctuate. Um, How much water you should be drinking but I think most people probably undershoot the runway when it comes to water. Okay. So, you know, I usually say, what is half your body weight in fluid ounces? Let that kind of be your goal and, and slowly work up to it because you might not need that much and you might need more. And again, there isn't this like perfect, I'm sure somebody has what they consider perfect calculation for it, but yeah. Just like the seasons it's, and just like your activity levels, that's going to fluctuate. So, you know, wintertime, lots of people, if you live someplace cold, they don't get triggered by thirst, but winter is really dry. And so you yeah. actually need a lot of water in winter, but you're not prompted by thirst. And so, you know, we tend to drink more coffees or cocos and yeah. things that aren't necessarily hydrating. So to answer your question about other beverages, other beverages can count, but I would say it depends on what they are. So herbal teas, you know, mineral waters, those all you can, you know, for the most part count. I mean, you don't want to be drinking only like LaCroix. You definitely want to just be (laughs) drinking like regular plain water, Mm -hmm. Um, but anything like caffeinated or caloric. Mm-hmm. In general, um, I I wouldn't count towards someone's daily ounces.
1: And then I've also heard, too, that maybe one cup of coffee, you need two cups of water. Like, so are the, what are certain areas or certain beverages that maybe are counting against you as far as hydration? Yes.
0: Caf- so anything that's caffeinated, for sure. Um, soda. Um, you know, I would even say some of these, like, sports drinks just cuz they're so full of sugar like mm-hmm. they might be hydrating you but they're also full of sugar so i kind of feel like they're they kind of a net zero in that in that standpoint um right. or they're just full of a bunch of like other additives that your body still has to process so those i would say are all ones that are kind of anti-hydrating okay And so, yeah, usually I'll tell people like bookend your coffee with water. So have coffee before and then have your coffee and then Mm. I'm sorry, have water before your coffee and have it after just to kind of help help hydrate.
1: There are I know for me personally, like I've always been pretty active. I know I have like the self-motivation, but then it's a lot harder for say someone if they, you know, they need a partner or the classes Mm -hmm. that we were talking about. So Mm -hmm. if they don't have that outside motivation, especially right now, how, what things can they do to actually keep themselves active? What, you know, help them get in the right mindset? Yeah.
0: So right now with COVID, it's like, man, I only, I almost wonder if and when this, all happens, like if gyms will even be filled again. There's so many amazing yeah. like online apps now. Right. Um, that I think make it really easy to kind of have. Um, you know, I think kind of similar to my advice before is have a set schedule time of when you're gonna get in, even just if it's like 15 minutes of activity, you know, have that in your schedule, whether that's when you first wake up, whether it's like during your lunch break or afternoon you know, have that scheduled, have an alarm set on your phone. And even if you allow yourself to even just start with like 10 minutes, and then like, if you're feeling good, like do a little bit more. I think that is so much more attainable than like promising that you're going to get like an hour or an hour and a half in of some sort of exercise, or you're going to go and run, you know, three, five miles every day. Like those can be really daunting goals that if one day you don't do it, the likelihood of you picking that back up for the long haul is pretty slim.
1: Okay. Is there anything, I just want to make sure there's nothing else that I am missing here as mm. far as you know, tips that people can just take to make sure that they're staying active, how important it is, knowing that not every, you know, these diets that are out there, that everything that may work for one person may also work for them. Anything yeah, So.
0: Yeah, I would say this, like, kind of back into, like, tapping into your intuition a little bit. Like, Mm -hmm. just pay attention to how you feel after you eat certain things. Like, you know, if you eat the same thing for breakfast, like, an hour and a half or two hours later, like, are you hungry? Do you have an energy crash? Do you notice yourself, like, needing an extra cup of coffee? Like, that's your body telling you that for some reason, like, maybe that's not, like, the best meal for you, right? And right. so like play around with it. Like if you're if you want to, you know, kind of venture on this on your own. Um, I'd say a couple of things that can help everyone is just making sure that you're getting like high quality, healthy fats and a source of protein at your meals. And, you know, really being mindful of how much of, you know, the packaged refined foods you're eating. Because, yeah. you know, you could eat the most beautiful stuff on the planet, but if you're you know if the majority of what you're eating is coming from a bag or has a lot of additives or a lot of empty calories, like you're not nourishing yourselves. you might be fit, but you're not nourishing yourselves, and so th- in the end in the end that will end up catching up,
1: yeah, yeah, you've touched on like some really, really great points because i <laughs> you're you're just saying. Like, I would never think to explain it that way when you brought up, you know, just having like this bar, just making sure you're having actual food. Yeah. Difference, And I know that I'm, I'm doing that, but I'm sure there's areas I can do it better. And you just, I would never think of explaining that in that way to someone. Yeah.
0: Somebody. Well, if you even look at it, like, let's say, like, let's just make up some numbers here. But like one of those average like meal bars is probably like between two and 300 calories. And so like, you might like the way it tastes and you might, you know, and it might add into your macros, but like, wouldn't like maybe a couple of eggs and like a couple slices of avocado or like a, a veggie omelet with a couple slices of avocado, like just one taste and feel better sitting in your stomach. Like it's just, you can sit down and eat it. You know, I just think sometimes we get so removed from food that we wonder why we're constantly thinking about it. We're right. constantly hungry. We're not really having it, sounds like. We're not, exactly. We're not right. really having it. And then when we have it, it's like we're thinking about the next thing. Like if you're eating a bar for breakfast, I'm 100% going to be thinking about what I'm eating next because I'm like, all right, well, that was unenthusiastic, un- you know, like the, right. that really didn't do much for me. So you're going to just keep thinking about it.
1: And I know some of the listeners are probably thinking, you know, but it's faster if I have the bar, are there Mm -hmm. any main things that you do like quick prep? If you're just on the go, I I love doing like chia pudding or something or some things.
0: Yeah. It's like overnight oats, I think are really great. So like taking oats and either adding like a really good quality whole fat milk that's organic or like an unsweetened nut milk um, Uh and, you know, pouring that over some oatmeal with like some raisins or some almonds, something like that. And just like keeping it in the fridge, Um, similar to chia pudding, right? Like you can Mm -hmm. heat it up in the morning if you want to. I always think it's great to have boiled eggs on hand, a great source of protein and fat. And like, you can either add that to salads, you can have it for like a snack. If, you know, it's kind of one of those things, if you have like a bunch of things that you're just kind of noshing on for a meal, you can add -hmm. that for your protein source and not have to worry about like, Sometimes protein can be a tough thing for people to kind of get if, you know, they're not like cooking or making things fresh all the time. Right. So I always think boiled eggs. And I actually really like sardines. Sardines okay. are probably like one of the most nutrient dense foods you can get. And wow. they're super COVID fa- friendly because, they, <laughs> you know, they're like non perishable. But you always want to look for like wild caught and uh, with water, and those are the things you want to look for. But you okay. know, you can you can eat sardines like you would, like um, like tuna salad, or you could you know throw it into some lentil pasta. They're they're just a really nutrient dense source of protein, B vitamins, minerals, zinc. So all those good right. things. Right.
1: I also saw too. I saw on your Instagram that you were mentioning uh, soaking almonds. Mm-hmm. A better way to digest it. Can you can you explain that a little yeah. bit? Yeah.
0: So almonds, the shell of almonds are actually fairly undigestible. Now you'll uh, you're not gonna like all of a sudden eat it and be like sick from it, but right. it takes a lot for our body to break down almond skins. And so mm-hmm. when you soak the almonds, you kind of help properly like break down, you make it easier to digest. And after you soak them overnight, you can actually just kind of put pressure and the almond will pop right out of the shell. Um, it's actually really easy. And in certain countries like Spain, like that's a, um, lots of times that's like an appetizer. They'll bring you like almonds soaked in like sea salt and then you like remove the shell and then eat the almond. So it, it, traditionally there's a lot of things that we don't do anymore out of just convenience, but traditionally most times they would soak things like nuts, um, and sometimes, you know, and remove the peeling of things like almonds, just because digestively, it's um, a lot easier on the stomach.
1: Awesome. Maria, yeah. thank you for all the information you have provided yeah. us today. I know I'm going to go soak some almonds and boil some eggs <laughs> right after this. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's been, great been really, re- sardines. right. Yes. Yeah, sardines. I actually love them. I never thought <laughs> oh, that it good. was like a really rich or like nutrient um, food to have. So I'll have to oh, yeah. I'll get some of those as well. Um, yeah yeah, it's been really great and I'm hoping that I can have you on again soon we can just dive into yeah oh yeah so much with health there's so much I know that there is to cover so happy to have been able to have you on I'm so happy to be on and make sure you guys that you go and follow Maria she's at maria vial health on instagram you can also find her at mariavial.com. thank you again so much for joining us oh thank you